This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, it's Wednesday, July the 27th. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. Hope you're okay. And is football finally coming home? Well, England's women are through to the final of the Euros after an incredible 4-0 win over Sweden in Sheffield last night. That's what this country's all about. It's the spirit that's going to win us the game on Sunday. You've got to be proud to be British, proud to be English. Look at those girls. They've bought it home and we are going to win. What a match. It was brilliant and we're so excited now we're in the final it's coming home and the highlight was an incredibly cheeky back heel goal from Kent's very own Alessia Russo I don't really remember too much about it I just thought that it was the quickest route to get it in the back of the net um, without having to turn so and I was fortunate enough it went in it was the third on the night and pretty much sealed the victory for the Lionesses who will face either Germany or France at Wembley on Sunday. Alessia has posted on Insta pics of that goal saying, what a night. Sheffield was unbelievable. Next up, Wembley. Well, joining me now is our sports reporter, Tom Reeves. And it was a pretty special night, wasn't it, Tom? Yes, it was a, a really special night for England's Lionesses, wasn't it? For an England side uh, playing in a, in a major competition at the semi-final stage, it was actually a, a remarkably strange forward evenings to work for them um, Sweden had a chance pretty much straight away and, and England's goalkeeper made a, a decent save um, and that sort of seemed to, to wake England up a, a little bit um, but, but from there on in really when uh, Beth Mead scored the uh, opening goal it was um, all England and a, a superb all round team performance from, from the ladies really and that goal incredible yes it was a, a, a quite remarkable goal from uh, Maidstone's finest Celestia Russo wasn't it to attempt that sort of backheel finish in, in any sort of game and, and to pull it off would have been pretty impressive. But to do so in a European Championship semi-final was uh, quite remarkable in front of nearly 30,000 people at Sheffield United's Bramall, Bramall Lane. Uh, Russo had sort of been put through put through on goal. Um, Sweden's goalkeeper made a, made a good save initially to uh, deny Russo who'd picked up Picked up the loose ball, um, but now with a back to goal uh, and being tightly marked by a Sweden player, looked like they were going to sort of have to have to start sort of recycle the the attack and and start again, I suppose. But um, a, a brilliant piece of skill, the the back heel from from Russo um, caught Sweden napping and. Um, Saw saw the ball go into the back of the net for for England's third goal, and it was um, yeah, it was it was quite something to, to to watch really. I'm not sure if I've ever seen a goal quite like that before, and like I say, to to do it in on any stage is is quite impressive, but to do it. On, on that sort of stage was, was really remarkable. So it's the second semi-final tonight then, Tom. Talk us through who England could meet at Wembley. Germany against France. That looks like it's got all the makings of, of being a classic as as well. Um, I'm sure England's team will be, be watching on um, and sort of keeping a close eye on it tonight as they uh, begin their preparations for, for Sunday's final. Win or lose on Sunday, how much do you think this has done for women's football? Yeah, the whole tournament has done a massive amount for, for women's football, um, really. Um, it's been great seeing the nation get behind the uh, the Lionesses with all the all the matches matches being on primetime TV has, has obviously made a, a big difference. And uh, 
hopefully uh, Russo and, and co can get get the job done on uh, on Sunday at Wembley. Tom, thank you ever so much. Well, let's hear more now from Alessia Russo, who started her career at Bursted FC. She's been telling the Lionesses socials about that goal. How are you feeling? You got over that one? Yeah, I think we're still buzzing. Um, what a night. Um, and yeah, special occasion. And now we're off to Wembley. Come on, you have to talk us through that goal. <laughs> Um, now I've had a look at it back, um, I still don't really know what was going through my head to be honest, I just thought that was the best route to get it in the goal as quick as possible after I missed the sitter that Fran set up, um, so yeah, I just thought that that was the best way to get it in as quickly as possible. Did you know as soon as it came off you'd hit it pretty well? Yeah, I knew I connected with it quite well, I mean I can't say I expected it to go in, it was almost just like a little bit of a hit and hope and, and fortunately enough it went in. Was your phone blown up overnight? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, had some lovely messages of support and everyone excited for the final now at Wembley and we all can't wait. England in the final at Wembley, how good does that sound? <sighs> Amazing. I think, yeah, what dreams are made of. That's what we started this tournament um, with the hope in mind and now we've got it on Sunday and we want to go out there and put on a performance that everyone's proud of. Thank you. Next stop is indeed Wembley. Kickoff on Sunday is at 5pm. Kent Online News. Next today, and it's been a pretty difficult journey to work if you absolutely have to travel by train in Kent, members of the RMT union have walked out again in a dispute over pay, jobs and conditions. It means very few services in the county have been running today and in fact the advice was to avoid travelling by rail if at all possible. Antonio Fletcher is an employment expert from Whitehead Moncton Solicitors in Maidstone and hopes companies have been flexible. If it's someone that can work just as well and just as productively at home, why would you put them through the extra hassle and potentially expense of having to having to get in because you might just end up with a disgruntled member member of staff. The only lines that have been running today are Ashford to St Pancras International via Ebbsfleet and Dartford and Sevenoaks to London Bridge. Well, services started later and are finishing much earlier. There's also likely to be a knock-on effect tomorrow as well. And while the disruption continues with further strike dates planned for August, Network Rail are urging the union involved to get back around the negotiating table. Paul Dent-Jones is from the company and has been talking me through the pay rise they've proposed. We want to give our people a pay rise. You know, we recognise that the cost of living is on the increase. Everything costs more these days. Um, and, and we want to give our people a pay rise because they deserve one. You know, they've worked flat out through throughout COVID. But the challenge for us is that we're a taxpayer-funded organisation. We've got to work out how to pay for it. So, you know, recently we tabled what we believe to be a good and affordable offer. So an 8% pay rise over two years, um, which includes all kinds of benefits and bonuses, 75% discounted rail travel for RMT members and their families, and the guarantee of no compulsory redundancy. So we think that's a fair and affordable offer. So it's really disappointing that the RMT's response to that was to simply announce more strike dates, which is going to cause more misery for our passengers. So, I mean, in a nutshell, the railway is funded by taxpayers and tickets. And, you know, taxpayers have already shelled out around £600 per household just throughout COVID to keep the industry afloat when no one was travelling. Passengers already pay enough for their fares, we think so, and we don't believe that they should pay any more. So really, it's down to us to, to get back around the negotiating table, work out what things we need to change, what outdated working practices that we, we can get rid of so that we can make the efficiencies we need, which will enable us to 
to not only run us safer and, and better railway for our passengers, but it will give us the money that we need to give our people a decent pay rise. Obviously, there's been talk about job security and perhaps some jobs could go with the introduction of, of new technology. Is that one of the biggest concerns amongst the, the union, as far as you're aware? Yeah, I, I, I think that is a concern amongst the union. I mean, you'll have to ask them. But like I said, our, our offer, we, we, we've tabled a fair and affordable offer. You know, it's, we're talking 8% over two years. Um, there's a guarantee of no compulsory redundancies. Um 75% discounted rail travel for our own team members and their families and benefits and bonuses. So we think that's a good offer um, and we want to get back around the table with the RMT to try and sort this out. Um, it's been spoken about a bit of a summer of discontent and for, for those in Kent after seeing the scenes we, we saw on the motorways less than a week ago, it's not great for people wanting to travel at the moment, is it? You get held up at the ports and then can't get on a train either. I mean, how, how do you feel for, for those who are wanting to just start to enjoy the summer holidays at the moment? Oh, look, I, I get it. It's really frustrating and I really empathise with them because I'm a passenger myself and you know, it's rubbish when the trains aren't running or when you can't get to where you need to be on time. Um, so, you know, all I can say is I'm really sorry uh, once again. But, you know, rest assured, we are doing everything we can to try and keep some services running. But there's still going to be this severe disruption. So if you have to travel, um, you know, just make sure that you check before you do so. Check your last trains home because they're going to finish much earlier, as early as 4.30 p.m and check your trains the following day. Union boss Mick Lynch has been on a picket line in London today. This is what he had to say. The people behind me are ordinary men and women in this country. They work hard to deliver the railway service. And what they don't want to do is see their wages diluted, their terms and conditions diluted, and their contracts of employment ripped up. So I'm not a militant. I'm not even a member of a political party, and I haven't been for 30 years. So the idea that we're running some ideological campaign is nonsense, frankly. What we want to do is get a settlement, so a straightforward industrial dispute on jobs, pay and conditions. And we, can be, we could do that if Grant Shapps would allow the companies to negotiate freely and he hadn't cut £2 billion from the funding of the National Railway and £2 billion from the London Underground in the last few weeks. You can let us know what you think of the strike action by leaving a comment on the story on our website. Some other news in brief for you now, and it's emerged a Sheppey man who died after crashing his BMW on the M2 had been driving at 117 miles per hour. 25-year-old Frankie Wright from Sheerness wasn't wearing a seatbelt when his car flipped onto its roof on the motorway near Chatham in February. A sex offender from Sandwich who abused boys and girls has been locked up for 12 years. Police discovered evidence of harm against children on computer hard drives after searching Daniel Nolkin's home in Whitefriars Meadow. The 23-year-old's been convicted of 18 offences. He'll serve another four years on licence. A 35-year-old man's been arrested on suspicion of firearms offences after a grenade was found at a property in Dover. Police and the bomb squad were called to LaSalle Street yesterday with officers still at the scene. And two men have been questioned after violence broke out on Folkestone Harbour. A man was hit with a spanner when two groups clashed in the stade last Monday. A white Mercedes was also damaged. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. Now, a woman has described the moment she was knocked down by an e-scooter in a hit-and-run in Canterbury. 
Sarah Carter was left seriously injured and needed surgery after it happened earlier this month. She's spoken out about it. She fears someone could end up being killed by the vehicles which are currently being trialled in the city. This is Sarah chatting to our reporter, Jerry Warren. I was walking towards the goods shed on Station Road West and um, suddenly I was knocked over by an e-scooter which came flying out of uh, to, on my left-hand side, knocked me over and I found myself on the ground with a fractured wrist, fractures to the face, jaw and lacerations to the chin and a crowd gathered round and took me to the William Harvey Hospital. I subsequently had surgery and I'm, um, I'm suffering long term from the injuries. I am strongly of the opinion that these scooters are lethal. I'm a fit person, but had I not been, I could have broken my hip, I could have had a head fracture, it could have been, I could have been killed. And um, what do you think should happen with the e-scooter scheme? Do you think it's working? I think it's not working. I think that no infrastructure has been put in place. And although I can see that they're possibly uh, an environmentally um, good form of transport, I, don't, I think it's been done prematurely and irresponsibly by the council and the company. And your worry is that someone will be killed? I'm absolutely worried that someone will be killed and further accidents of my kind will happen. Well, we do wish Sarah all the very best with her recovery. The company that are currently running the trial in Canterbury say the rider involved in that collision was immediately identified and blocked from using the service. They go on to say they're now working with the police to share their details. The people running Canterbury Food Bank have revealed their annual grocery bill has jumped by more than 4,000% as donations slump and prices soar. Bosses have described a real food emergency as the price of its shopping, which supplements items donated by the public, increased from £800 a year to more than 35000 Its services quadrupled during the pandemic, but they say inflation's pushing even more families into poverty. A construction company based on Sheppey has gone into administration. More than 50 jobs have been lost at Elicon, which has its headquarters on the Regis Business Park in Sheerness. The family-run firm says the knock-on effects of COVID are partly to blame. Another 67 acres of farmland in part of Kent could soon be covered with solar panels. The company behind the idea says the site near Staplehurst would generate enough electricity to power 5,000 homes. A consultation is underway to find out what people living there think of the plans. Kent Online reports. Bosses at one of Kent's biggest attractions say something must be done to fix travel problems at Dover. After last weekend's chaos, there have again been queues at the port today as people try to get away for a summer break. It's being blamed on high demand at border control after extra checks were brought in because because of Brexit. Well, I've been speaking to Neil McCollum. He's from English Heritage, which runs Dover Castle. 
I think frustrating is a really good word, actually, because I think that's the only thing we can feel at the moment. I mean, we knew this weekend was going to be busy. It's the weekend when the schools break up and everyone wants to go away on the holidays, and they haven't been able to do that the last couple of years. So we kind of knew it would be busy, but we didn't know that it would cause the chaos that it did. And I think, you know, it's frustrating to know that this could have been avoided if, you know, if, if the authorities, particularly the government, had actually been planned to, um, to, to, to sort this out before it happened, really. What are your thoughts for the rest of the summer? Because we're told there could be further disruption. What are you hearing on on the ground in Dover, as it were? Yeah, I mean, we're hearing the same things, but obviously we're planning to try and work around that because obviously what we're keen to do is make sure that we stay open for business as normal and people come down into our properties and enjoy the, the fantastic day out that we can offer. So, you know, we're working quite closely with some of our, our communications team to make sure that we get the message out about where there are problems, how you can get around those problems, which are the best routes to take, and also giving advice to, to visitors in terms of checking their route before they leave. But, you know, we want to make sure that everyone has a real good opportunity to enjoy the summer here in the UK and not get stuck up in jams across across the East Kent. Absolutely. I was speaking to the chief executive of Visit Kent, Deirdre Wells, yesterday, who was saying the same as you, really, that kind of it, it doesn't help the brand Kent, if that were a, a thing, to, um, you know, just get national headlines of, of traffic jams everywhere. Do you find it harder then to get your message out and kind of be really positive about the county? Yeah, very much. I mean, Kent, as, as Deirdre said, is, is an amazing county. We've got some amazing um, days out and, and places to visit, not least, you know, the, the, the castles in here in East Kent. So, you know, it makes it more difficult when the, the, the kind of the constant message is about the jams and the delays and so on. I mean, particularly this week, because obviously the problems were on Friday and Saturday in particular. By Saturday afternoon, certainly Sunday morning, they were starting to free up. And certainly in the last two to three days, there have been no problems at all. Yet, obviously, the message is still quite high in terms of the media and people's perceptions are that East Kent is still jammed up. Yet at the moment, it's all flowing fine. I guess it's quite early to tell. But would you have any idea as to how footfall was affected over the weekend? Would you have expected it to be particularly busy that first weekend of the holidays? Yeah, I think we were probably about 50 percent down on what we would have expected for for this time in a, in a normal year. I mean, it's hard to to judge exactly because obviously the last two years haven't been very normal but if we go back to say 2019 we would have expected about double the amount of visitors for this weekend so I think you know we can safely say that that's the impact it's had on our business and obviously those that did arrive and get through the traffic jams probably didn't have the best day out because obviously they've been stuck in traffic jams getting to the castle so you know hopefully they had an enjoyable day out once they received got to the castle anyway. As you mentioned there this is kind of the first summer back as it were after um after the pandemic how vital is it that you do have a good summer and you do welcome a lot of visitors? It's hugely vital for us I mean we're a charity we run you know 400 sites across the country and we've had a difficult couple of years in terms of running on reduced fiscal numbers and reduced income and so on. Uh, but we've done really well in terms of managing to retain all of the staff. We didn't have to lay any staff off. Uh, we're still here. We're still open. And so, you know, we saw this year as being the, the kind of the first bounce back year. We knew it'd be difficult because obviously, you know, it's the first year after the pandemic and it will take a while for the overseas visitors to come back to the UK in any large numbers, although we are seeing them already. So, but this year was kind of our big bounce back year to try and obviously give people some great opportunities, get our staff really engaged in in supporting visitors and hopefully making some money for the charity to keep looking after these wonderful sites that we do so on behalf of the nation. And um, for anyone who who does come along, I mean, just remind us how spectacular it is down there and the things that you have got on offer over the summer. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Dover Castle is an amazing day out. And, you know, if, if you're an English Heritage member, it's a great value day out as well. So we've got some wonderful events coming up uh, over the summer period. We've got our Pirates at Dover Castle event this coming weekend on the, uh, the 30th and 31st of July. 
and then a huge event uh, on the bank holiday weekend in August, which is our Knights tournament event running across the whole of the, uh, the bank holiday. And then every day during August, we've got our medieval Dover, which is a series of reenactors and, and lots of family engagement opportunities within the site. So, you know, from, from now right through to when schools go back in September, there's something for, for everyone to enjoy at, at the castle. As Neil mentioned there, there are also calls for top-level talks by the chief exec of Visit Kent. You can hear what Deirdre Wells had to say to me by listening back to yesterday's podcast. And if you thought the queues at Dover had reached their worst at the weekend... It seems you need to think again. We're told today things could get even worse next year with new biometric tests being brought in. The UK and French authorities are being urged to work together on measures to minimise delays. Elsewhere, it's being claimed today that French and British emergency services passed responsibility onto each other when dozens of people drowned in the English Channel last year. You may remember the tragic story of a rubber dinghy sinking in November, killing 31 asylum seekers and an unborn baby. It was despite repeated calls to Coast Guard services, both here and in France, will a report by a law firm acting on behalf of some of the relatives of those who died suggests both sides pass the buck. Tony Smith is a former Director General of the UK Border Force. These are dangerous waterways and we believe that other people have gone missing as well. So it is a, a really dreadful situation that's being fuelled by human smuggling and uh, people that even today are still putting their lives at risk. We do need close collaboration between the governments on both sides to patrol that channel. That means the UK and the EU, as well as France, to come to an accommodation about how we are going to work together to patrol our waters jointly and to save lives. And that's where I get a little bit nervous because I haven't seen a great deal of progress on joint operations. We have funded some operations on the French coast for stopping the boats and so on, but we haven't really worked together in a collaborative way to put the smugglers out of business as much as I would have liked to have seen. Kent Online reports. A microbrewery, taproom and holiday homes could be built on the site of a 120-year-old hop farm in Kent. The owners of Huckins Hops have asked for permission to convert disused buildings on land near Tenterden. They say the brewery would produce up to 5,000 pints per batch. A new 160-seat restaurant is due to open in Canterbury next month. Cozy Club is opening its first branch in the county on St Margaret Street. It launched back in 2010 and has more than 30 branches across the country. You can see what it might look like by heading to the website today. And you can also follow us on socials to see how a Faversham beautician has pulled off her very own Amazing Spaces style makeover. Kirsty Martin was struggling for work during lockdown, so bought an ambulance online and converted it into a mobile salon. She's renamed it the Glambulance, which we absolutely love. The stretcher and cabinets have been replaced with Hollywood mirrors, seating and neon lights. Kent Online Sports. Just a day before the opening ceremony, Kent sprinter Dina Asher-Smith has withdrawn from the Commonwealth Games because of a hamstring injury. The 26-year-old from Orpington picked up the problem during the recent World Athletics Championships in Oregon. She'd been due to compete in the 100 metres and 4 by 100 metre relay in Birmingham. On to football and Gillingham have drawn with Bearstead in their final pre-season friendly. The Jules gave some of their young players a run out last night as they get ready for the first League Two game of the season against AFC Wimbledon on Saturday. It finished one all and this might make you feel a bit old, I'm afraid. It's exactly 10 years since the start of the London Olympics. Kent athletes, including Adam Jamili, Jack Green and Ben Quilter were all competing for Team GB. 
You can follow us on socials or head to Kent Online today to look back on how they all performed in the summer of 2012. Well, that's all from us for now. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can also now get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site. To do it, you need to subscribe. Just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. And whilst you're on the site today, you need to read the warning about a fish that could be found on a beach in Kent and is said to reduce grown men to tears. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.